Good morning, everyone. My name's David. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers and the, the spiritual mothers among us. Great to be here with you. Let me pray as we look at this word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us. Uh, thank you for blessing us uh, by your word and your spirit. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would know your nearness uh, and your willingness to bless us uh, and that you would do that as you teach us by your word. Uh, grow us in the knowledge of you. Uh, grow us in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and grow us, Lord, to be like him by the power of your spirit. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now I want to start with a question. Uh, do you find church exciting? Yes, oh, that's good. Someone said yes. Uh, do you find church do you think Do you think church is like the most important thing that you do in the week, that you just wouldn't miss it for anything? Uh, it, it's been said, maybe you've heard it, church can be boring. Anyone ever heard that before? Yeah. Like, don't put your hand up. Um, church can be boring. Yeah, I've heard that. I, I don't say that. Um, people who think that way, they do not understand what is really going on at church. Uh, I think we should admit church yeah, sometimes can look a bit ordinary, but there is more going on than meets the eye. Uh, 1 Kings chapter, chapters 5 to 8, the, we, we read a bit of chapter 8 today, looking at these kind of four chapters. Uh, this part of God's word actually can, it, it can pull back the curtain uh, and help us to see the glorious reality of church, to see that church really is exciting and we should see it that way. Okay, these four chapters uh, we're going to look at in 1 Kings are about one thing, the temple of God. So it's, it's about sort of preparing to build the temple, then it's about building the temple, then it's like about celebrating the temple, so it's all about the temple. Uh, and it's a lot of Bible space, you know, four chapters to take up uh, with just one thing. But of course that is showing us there is something really significant going on here around the temple. Uh, and and it's, it's just so much more than just this building, so much more. It actually represents the goal of human history which is God dwelling among his people. God dwelling among his people. We see God dwelling among his people at the start of the Bible, don't we? In creation, in the Garden of Eden, people are enjoying the presence of God and the blessing of God as he dwells among them. But of course, this is not the way things are today, is it? We know that. Because of the fall, because of our sin. Right, and, and the fall is actually a good name for that because it's like we fell off the cliff of God's blessing. Right, we sinned against God, we disobeyed him, we had to leave the garden. And so life now is not a life knowing the blessing of God in his presence, but it, it's a life lived under the curse of God and sin. And so we would, we would love to get back to the garden, wouldn't we? Wouldn't that be great? Right, but, but we cannot do it. We have no strength, we have no ability, we have no power, we have no wisdom to do that ourselves. But the message of the Bible is that God has promised to bring us back. Right? God has promised to gather his people once again and to dwell among them and to bless them. This is the story of the Bible. We see it all through the Bible. You think about the, the promise to Abraham, that great uh, milestone in the Bible. What did God promise Abraham? His blessing, right, to bless him and to bless the world through him, right? And the Bible is this story of God's promise, 
his faithfulness to fulfill that promise. You know, if we, if we kind of fell off the cliff in Genesis 3, the rest of the Bible is about God bringing us back up the mountain uh, so that we can be with him, he can dwell among us, and, and he can bless us. And 1 Kings chapter 8, this chapter we're going to look at today, it, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like the mountaintop of the Old Testament. It, it is as good as things get for the people of God in the Old Testament. But before we get there to chapter 8, uh, this is how we're going to get there. We're going to look at chapters 5 to 7, first of all, where we see God's wise king building God's house, his temple. Uh, then we'll see the high point as God dwells among his people in chapter 8. And then we'll have a think about to finish the exciting reality of church, how this helps us see that church really is exciting. So if you haven't been with us for the one king so far, here's what's happened. David has died. God has established Solomon as king and he's given him wisdom to be king, to rule his people. And so now it is time for God's wise king to build God's house. Uh, now, when I go for my morning walks around my area, there's lots of building. I live in one of those places where there's lots of new houses going up. And so I see all these um, you know, construction sites. And you know how the building companies love to put their sign up on the fence? I, I love reading those because they're like, they promise so much. They're so full of hope and they, they give you so much instruction. And, and here was one that I saw that I think relates to today. Uh, wisdom, live your way. Does that, does that sound like wisdom? Did we hear about wisdom? Like we heard from wisdom from Brendan this morning. Uh, wisdom is not to live your way, it's to live God's way. Solomon's wisdom was, was the listening heart to hear God's word and to obey him. And that is what we see Solomon doing. Now that he has wisdom, he's living according to that wisdom. Chapters 5 to 7. Uh, Solomon is hearing the promise of God. He's remembering the promise of God to his father, David, um, which you remember from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Do you remember that great part of the Bible where uh, David sort of thinks to himself, I'm going to build God a house, this temple. And God says, no, David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. Is this great promise of a, of a dynasty of kings, of sons of David, always on the throne forever. It's a huge promise. And God says, I'm going to do that for you. And so Solomon, he, he's remembering this promise that we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is, what, this is what God said to David. So we're just reminding ourselves. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so you can see there's some of those things have happened. Uh, David is resting with his ancestors. Uh, God has raised up and established his offspring. And so now is the time for him to build the house. And so he knows that. And so we read in 1 Kings chapter 5, uh, Solomon saying this. He says, you know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides... He could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now, so this time, the Lord my God has given me rest on every side and there is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God as the Lord told my father David when he said, 2 Samuel 7, your son whom I will put on the throne in your place will build the temple for my name. 
Uh, so he's remembering that promise and, and, he's, and he's building this house according to the promise. Uh, so then chapters 6 and 7, like they're all about building the temple. Just a lot of uh, details about construction. Right? If you love building reports, I can see Pete Bryan here, he's a builder, he probably loves this section. Uh, but the rest of us, we might just skim over it. Okay? We might think, oh, it's not that important. But, but we've got to see all these details, all this space is trying to tell us something. It's trying to get us to, to slow down and see that we are approaching a really significant moment in the Bible. And there's two clues in chapter 6 that just tell us how significant this moment is. So there's one at the start of chapter 6 and one at the end of chapter 6. So that's, that's telling us something. So the start of chapter 6, we read, it's 480 years since the Exodus. Okay, so it's linking us with the Exodus. You remember when God saved his people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to himself to be his people? It was this hugely significant moment in their history. And what this is saying is, is what God started then at the Exodus, he is now completing 480 years later. Another significant moment. And then at the end of chapter 6, we read that the temple was finished in seven years. Finished in seven years. You know what that's pointing us to? That's pointing us even further back to creation. Do you remember what happened at creation? When God had finished the work of creation, he rested on the seventh day. Right? God's work of creation was, was perfect. That's what that number is signalling for us. Uh, it was very good. God dwelled with his people. Uh, in, that, in that perfection. And, and, and this house that Solomon is building, this, this temple, it is a concrete sign of God's promise to do that again. Right? God's wise king is building God's house according to the promise of God. Like We, we are climbing up the mountaintop here as we come to chapter 8. Because what happens in chapter 8 is the fulfilment of this great promise as as we see God dwells among his people. And so when the temple is finished, Solomon gathers everyone together, all of Israel are there together uh, for this moment. And, and it's, they, they have something like an opening ceremony. Uh, and do you remember, do you remember the, the opening ceremony of the Sydney Olympics? I'm looking at these guys, you don't remember it, you weren't born. It was a really significant moment. And, and do you remember the sort of the climax of the opening ceremony when the spotlight is on Kathy Freeman with the Olympic torch and she lights this water and it flames up. But then even, even, even more so, the, the ring of fire like rises around Kathy Freeman as she stands there and then it just kind of floats up the stadium. Do you remember this? Do you remember the music? It's like going, na, 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 like this kind of... I can't sing it, but it's just like this kind of, you know, it's like John Williams wrote or something. It was just like, it was just this epic sort of climactic moment. And, and we've got to see that as we come to this chapter of the Bible, we, we are coming to this climactic moment in Israel's history, right? But, but what is brought in in this opening ceremony for Israel is, is not a torch. It's, it's the Ark of God, the, the Ark of the Covenant. That, that's what it looks like. There's a picture um, it's a box, right? It's a box that God told Moses to make in the Exodus um, to, to house the Ten Commandments. 
right? God's word written upon the stone, uh, his commitment to them, his promise. Put that in the box. And so they've got it, and we're told in verse 9 of chapter 8 that there's nothing in the ark except the word of God. Nothing except that. Right, and this, this ark is brought in. It's got a special place in the house of God, in the temple. Do you know where the place is? It's right in the centre. It, it is right in the holy of holies, the most holy place. Nothing in that room except for this ark. It's a room for this ark. Right, and it's brought in so carefully as well. They, they didn't just kind of, you know, whack it on someone's ute and just bring it in there and the guys got it off. No, it's, it's brought in with, with reverence and awe and there is so much sacrifice. It couldn't be counted. Right? You can see that this is, this is a huge moment. It, it's so valuable. Right? But the, the value of, of the ark is not in, in the object itself, but in what it represents. Right? The ark represents the promise and the presence of God is the promise of God to them, to be their God. It is, his, it is his presence among them, representing his presence among them to bless them. This is the most valuable thing Israel possess. And what happens? Uh, what do we see happening when the priests carry the ark into the temple? Well, verse 10, uh, the, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and Solomon is there to, to tell us what it means in verse 12. The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Right. So, so it, it's, it's saying God is here. God is dwelling among us by this cloud, by his presence. How exciting is this for Israel at this point? Right, the, the high point of their existence since the exodus, right? the, the, the high point of humanity since the fall, right? that God is once again dwelling among his people to bless them. Right? It's, it's such a significant moment that we get this, this long prayer of Solomon as he reflects upon what is going on here, what we, should, what we should be learning from this. And so in this prayer in verses 22 to 30, which we read out, uh, there's four things to notice that are, that are really important uh, to learn from this. So the first one is that uh, Solomon praises God for keeping his promise. So verse 24, he says, You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. So you've just got to see straight up, God promised this, and now he has kept his promise Let's just, let's just be clear, that is what has happened. And then verse 25 and 26, the second thing, uh, he prays that God would continue to keep his promises. So verse 25 and 26. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him. Let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. Right, so there's still more promises of God to be fulfilled. Um, but Solomon here is just saying to everyone, all Israel, we can have every confidence that God will do the things he has promised to do because he's done everything that he's promised to do in the past. Right, we can be sure of the future because of everything God has done in the past. And so he has that great confidence in the promise of God. The third thing, third thing, uh, he prays Israel, 
might see the significance of the temple, of what is, what is happening here around the temple. So verse 27, he says, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Right? We've got to sort of see that you know, the temple is important, but it's not the end game. It's what the temple points to that's important. Right? They didn't build the temple because God needed a place to stay. Like when he comes to visit, you know, do we have a place for God? This is not some kind of granny flat for God to live in. Right? God made everything. He doesn't live in temples made by human hands. So, so, so what is the temple for? Well, it's, it's for Israel. So they might know God is with them. So they might know he is their God. So they might call upon his name and receive his blessing. Right? And that is what this temple represents. Have a look at verse 29 as Solomon goes on. He says, may your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Right, Solomon's sort of making them like, look, look through the building to the reality. Right, this is telling us that, that, that God is with us and that God is for us. There is nothing better than that for people. Right, they can know that they can pray to God and that God is going to hear them and that God is ready to bless them. They are in relationship with God. Uh, and that is the blessing of God dwelling among his people, that you can have this relationship with him. Right? And that is what the temple represents, the true reality. And so Solomon wants him, he wants him to see that. And then fourthly, he prays for uh, maybe the most important thing for this relationship to continue and keep going, uh, he prays for forgiveness, right? Forgiveness. Um, because Solomon knows if, if a holy God is going to dwell among a sinful people, uh, sin must be dealt with. And so he prays in uh, verse 30. There it is. He says, Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Right? And the whole section that follows is all about God forgiving them for their sins. Right? We cannot remove our sin. Right? We cannot do that. God must do that. That's why we pray to God for forgiveness, so that God would forgive our sins. Right? This is the first and fundamental prayer of all prayers, that God would forgive us so that he can dwell among us and we can have that peaceful relationship with him. There must be forgiveness. And so Solomon prays for that. And, and, and what a time this was for Israel. I encourage you to read this chapter when you get home. There's, there's so much joy and there's so much blessing and there's just so much gladness, as the Bible would say. It's really good. Um, because what's happening is God's promises here are being fulfilled God's wise king has built his house. God is dwelling among them to bless them. Right? They've really reached this mountaintop of their existence. It is so great. Uh, but if you know the story of the Bible, you know it didn't last. Uh, you will know that there was another fall, which we're going to look at next week uh, as Solomon disobeys the word of God. Uh, he, he couldn't remain obedient. No king after Solomon 
could remain obedient to God. And so what happened to the temple eventually? It was destroyed. This beautiful temple was just uh, levelled to the ground. Now, Israel, of course, they returned to Jerusalem after their exile. They rebuilt the temple. It wasn't as good as the first one. And then later on, 20 BC, uh, King Herod actually kind of fancied up the temple again, made it look really nice. And, And this is actually the temple that Jesus came to when he was walking the earth. And when Jesus comes to the temple once with his disciples, they sort of, they sort of you know, gush over how wonderful this, this building is. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says to him, he says, Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And so he talks again of, of another destruction of the temple. But, but he could talk about those things and not, and not be, I guess, uh, concerned that it would happen because like Solomon, he knew the true significance of the temple was not the building itself, uh, but what it was pointing us to. Right? Pointing us to that promise of God to dwell among his people. And Jesus could say, we, we don't need this temple because he had come to fulfill that promise, to, to be the temple, to be the place that we meet with God. This is what we see in the New Testament, isn't it? When, when, when we read about Jesus in the Gospels, uh, John 1.14, what does it tell us? Great verse. It tells us that the Word became flesh, talking about Jesus, his incarnation, and made his dwelling among us. Uh, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus, he was the embodiment of everything the temple represented. He, he was literally God dwelling among his people. And Jesus even spoke of his own body in terms of it being a temple. Right? John chapter 2, verse 19, a little bit later, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. It's no wonder if you read through the Gospels, they start to slow down as we come to the cross. Because they want us to to take in the significance of this moment, of what is happening as we come to the cross of Christ. As, As the temple of his body is being destroyed, they want us to see the significance of that. Because you can't destroy this temple because it was raised again. And Jesus is talking about his body. This is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, God's promises to David, is that as Jesus was risen, uh, he showed us he is the place where God dwells forever. He is the place where people now meet with God. And so what's this got to do then finally uh, with church being exciting? How can this show us that church is exciting? Well, look, the the glory of King Solomon and his house is here to help us see the glory of King Jesus and the house that he is building today, right? King Jesus is building his church, we are told. That's his building project. And he's not building with uh, you know, bricks and mortar or sandstone or anything like that. He's building with people. He's building his church with people. Have a look at 1 Peter 2, 
uh, chapter 4 and 5 again. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, you believers, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? People who, who come to Jesus, who repent and believe in him, right, they are those that are forgiven of all their sin and they can dwell with God. Right, they are united with Jesus Christ. Uh, they become stones in his building. Right, the church, right, his gathered people, his special people. Now, there's nothing better than that. Uh, to know God and to be in relationship with him, uh, to be with him, to know he is for us uh, and that he's ready to bless us. Now, that is what it means to come to Christ. You are part of his building. And then uh, Jesus gathers us. Like King Solomon gathered all Israel to hear his word, King Jesus gathers us to hear his word uh, as we come together. And like we don't see that sort of visible cloud of God's glory descending upon us when we gather, do we? Unless we brought a whole bunch of smoke machines or something and just kind of tried to uh, imitate that. Uh, we don't see that, but, but God is no less here with us. God is with us today. He is with us by his word. He is with us by his spirit as he speaks to us through his word. He is blessing us, blessing us in Christ. And as we gather as well, you know what we're doing? We're anticipating the day when this building will be finished. Okay, John saw the city of God in the new creation. We can read about it in Revelation. And when John saw that city in Revelation, he did not see a temple. And do you know why? He tells us. He says, I, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Right, right, here is the goal of human history. Here is the, the high point that all things are heading toward. God dwelling among his people eternally at rest. Right, this will be forever in the new creation. This is where we are heading. Right, this is something that we anticipate and we celebrate when we come together as God's church. How, how exciting is this? I hope you can see. Uh, how exciting is it to be gathered? How exciting is church uh, to know these realities? Uh, there is so much more going on here than meets the eye. Right, we are the building of God where he dwells by his word. Right, so what should we do? Uh, we should not give up meeting together. Uh, but keep doing that and encouraging one another with the exciting reality of church. Uh, and we do that more and more as we see that great day approaching. Let's pray now and ask God to do that work in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful uh, that as we come together, uh, we can know your love for us. Uh, we can know uh, that you have gathered us. We can know that you are for us and that you are with us. Uh, and we can know that through your promises to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and Father, we thank you for those promises. Uh, we pray that you would fulfill them. Lord, that you would keep us uh, gathering uh, and encouraging one another and believing in you. 
until that day that your work is complete. And Father, we, uh, we just pray that you would work in us by your spirit uh, to transform our hearts, uh, that we might be like Christ. And Father, we pray that you would do this work in us by the power of your spirit. Amen.